Please remember, the information in our podcast could be a trigger for some people. And if you or someone you know has been affected by sexual abuse, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre 24-hour helpline is 1-800-77-8888. Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Kavanagh Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Counting In Podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. In today's podcast, we will be discussing childhood sexual abuse triggers, what they are and why we need to know about them. So I, it might seem really ridiculous to somebody else, but a trigger can be anything that's uh, specific to you and your abuse. Because a trigger can be a smell, it can be a feeling, it can be a touch. I'm not talking about abusive touch, I just anything can trigger you. But like probably an easy way to identify would be when the story came out first, the amount of triggers we had. We could barely do a thing without getting some form of memory back because it was all fresh and it was raw and it was like being hit by a train. We had so many of them. You know, I remember looking in the mirror, uh, the smell in the room, the smell off a blanket. And I used to just really now have horrific memories. Like it used to really now trigger me would be the noise of racing or football. Match of the day music. It doesn't bother me anymore, but I do remember it's almost like getting chippers down your spine when you hear that because you're right back in that space where you remember he sat there clicking his fingers in order and this, that and the other. It's just, it brings back things like that. See, a, a trigger is anything that throws you back into your trauma, whatever the trauma happened to have been. Sometimes they're so subtle. A physical gesture that you wouldn't even think means anything and not even somebody directing it at you, but the way somebody would point at something or the way somebody would express themselves with their hands. Like, it's amazing what yeah. can trigger you. Or, or the way somebody drives. But for me, even now, I smell a strong odour or the noise of somebody eating. Oh my God, I can't even tell you how much of a trigger that is. Well, they're both things like, uh, Dad used to eat very noisily with open mouth and chewing. You and remember, spitting. you commented yeah. on it once in one of your writings saying that it was like a cow chewing on cud. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was good. Yeah, yeah. see, that, that would be a trigger. At the same time now, I'd remember things like that. Smell now would have been a big thing for me because he was a smelly sod. Yeah. But I, now, smell would upset me, but not to the extent that I would be devastated or thrown back into a memory. I could now identify, this is what it is, I don't like it, let's tackle it. And I think that's what happens as you progress on your journey and you detach more from the impacts. You're no longer defined by them. So those triggers, although they exist and you are aware of them still, they don't have the impact or the power that no. they once had over you. I suppose the thing to be careful of, like at the start, you wouldn't have been aware that they were triggers, but you'd often been feeling really, really bad and there's no real explanation. It's like being annoyed and you're looking around, like nothing happened, why would I be annoyed? Like something has triggered you and you have put up your wall to protect you, but you haven't actually acknowledged that that happened. And that, that was a trigger. And that's it at the start. Now, you know, the more you get into it, 
the easier it is to identify triggers. But yeah, but all, all of that contributes to your belief that you're stupid and you're mad. Yeah. You know, because you don't understand what's happening. And it is so confusing. Yeah. Uh, your head is in turmoil 90% of the time. And it is really a, a mess to, to untangle all of that. That's why the need for conversations, for therapy, for reading and writing. That's why it's so important, because if you don't interrupt that, you'll never get out of that situation. I suppose there's benefits to having triggers because you can go there. You can dissect it. You can see this is related to, like you were saying, the helpless, and the dependency and all of that. And it's bringing up their memories in order for you to release them, let them go. Then they have no power or control over you. That's the benefits of having triggers. The bad thing about it is if you don't identify triggers, you just, you're just going to be convinced you're going mental. Yeah, they blindside you. You don't see them coming. You don't recognize them. You don't identify them. You have no awareness. No. So you're just walking around thinking, I'm fucking mad. Yeah, and they don't come with flags. I think for me, when I broke my ankle that time, and being in the house, I was convinced I was going to die. I didn't realise what was a trigger, why that triggered me in any way whatsoever. And it was that feeling of helplessness yeah. and I had no escape and I was dependent. And I didn't even realise that was an issue for me. Yeah. yeah. It was a year after my ankle had healed and all, and I was still having anxiety and panic attacks, that I realised what it was. But I know for people who are starting off on their healing journey and they're only, say, at the raw stage of it, those triggers, are, they can wipe you out. They can make you feel like you are insane and you just want to be locked away. You can go into uncontrollable crying and you don't know why you're crying. And yet they couldn't cry at a funeral. It's that contradiction and contrast to why you overreact to something and you underreact to something else. And yeah. that can be very confusing. And yeah. that is nearly always down to triggers. Yeah, yeah it is. And, and depending on your personality, I certainly would have been very volatile because of triggers. But when not identifying them, you just look like a cranky shit. Like, you know, somebody's just is angry all Explodes. the time. Yeah. And I would have said I was the complete opposite. Now, I'm telling you where I was coming from. I thought I was as calm, <laughs> as calm as you could get. Because I, to, as far as I was concerned, I didn't respond or react to anything. Yeah, or I kept it, it inside. Yeah. And I certainly didn't entertain anybody's behaviour. It's only now I realise I was oozing. Yeah, explosive anger and rage, but I was so oblivious to that. Yeah, and I find even now I'm still shocked at how oblivious I was. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't see it. Well, do you remember Philip Schofield when he said, "What would you do if you heard somebody now clicking your fingers?" Yeah, and, and you he clicked. Yes, yeah. but he must have triggered you. Yeah. You didn't had no idea where that came from. No. You were in a good space. No, I forgave everyone. <laughs> yeah, we were actually really in a good place. Yeah. And out of the blue, your response was even shocked yourself. Yes. And that's a great oh, example of a trigger because that blindsided you completely. You yeah. had no idea. We were well down the line. In terms I mean, of, it can happen any time. Yeah. There's no cure from it. It's just one remark. It wasn't a remark. You clicked. You know, I'm just saying that even now at this stage where we're at, that from the wrong person, one remark, misogynistic remark or something out of the blue, could bring us right back yeah, in absolutely. seconds. Yeah. Now we'd much more likely to control it now, or at least get past it quicker. But sometimes but, you can't control it. You react instantly, and then you think. God, no, you do, but my point is you can move out of it now. Yeah. Like, whereas before, I could have been triggered way back by something my husband said, and I could have been in that for days. Yeah. The impact of it. Yeah. It could have affected our relationship for days or weeks. I think for victims of abuse, 
you really do carry all of the blame when something goes wrong in your relationship because it's part of your nature to take the blame for everything. But it's also carrying on that message that we're not good enough, we're yeah. stupid, yeah. what would we know, we can't do anything on our own. You're bombarded with all of that crap as well. Yeah. We had a woman working with us once. I was in a kind of a relationship and I, again, highly volatile. And I remember she turned to me one day and she said, oh my God, like, you'd want to be careful now, nobody would put up with you. And I remember thinking, oh Jesus, she's right, like I'll never be in a proper relationship because I'm a mad woman. I just thought I was mad because I couldn't even understand myself. I spent more time confused. I didn't understand what I was feeling, what was happening, why I was reacting. When you're exploring triggers and you're looking at the whole area of triggers, if you look at a behaviour pattern that you have that you're unhappy with, look at when, why and how you do that because I can guarantee you what's behind that behaviour is a trigger. But they're a good way of you having a look in and going of identifying them yeah because yeah. trace it backwards triggers don't always impact you t- in in a, in a conscious way so if you're looking at a behavior that's actually upsetting you and you know triggers are not only the something they do that triggers the abuse best way to say it is say i went out for a night's drinking and i come home and i think i'm unlovable that, that's another trigger because it's triggering the feelings that resulted from the abuse. I'm ugly. Nobody's want to be with me. I'm no good. I'll never find anybody. All that kind of stuff. That's all a trigger as well. So you can trigger a belief system. Yes. And what I did with my belief system was E. I always eat. And especially with drink. I always remember Mammy hiding food on you when you were drinking. I know she used to hide biscuits and that, goodies, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't put the crisps down long enough to go to the loo. I'd be bursting to go to the loo, but they'd come with me. And when I look at the trail on the floor, I question how much I actually got into the <laughs> Yeah, because there's not many crisps in the pack. Yeah, and then I would get up and hate myself. Yeah. Our abuser was our father. He was our employer. He was God, as far as we were concerned. He was in charge of everything, every aspect of our life, of our development. So there's bound to have been triggers up the wazoo. We had a man that we lived with 24-7 that controlled everything. So every aspect of his behaviour would trigger us. I I can't believe we're not in a funny farm. Like, I really can't when I think of it. Not even I. Sometimes I think that's where I belong. And I suppose it kind of goes without saying that we were sexually abused. So sex and all things to do with sex are huge triggers. Even down to initiating sex. That would be a huge trigger. I remember in my relationship starting off, and we all discussed this, there was guilt over initiating it, there was guilt over not wanting it. Um, There was guilt over... Wanting uh, it. Wanting wanting it, but not being able to initiate. And then if somebody initiated, you were triggered. So it was like you couldn't win, and your partner couldn't win. And it was like a landmine trying to navigate around all of these triggers. You know, you really do need, in a relationship, you need somebody that's willing to work on this with you. Because when it comes to intimacy, there's two people involved. And even if you're the one that was raped as a child, you can guarantee they wouldn't have been drawn to you if they didn't have issues themselves. But besides that, two of you are trying to get into an intimate relationship. So two people need to do a bit of work on this. And they need to be involved in the process as much as possible. They need to be willing to. When it comes to sex and sexual intercourse, huge triggers everywhere. Yeah, I just think definitely you need an understanding partner. They need to be included and involved in the in your healing Process. journey and help to understand how your abuse has impacted you and how it will have a knock-on effect 
in your relationship and to help both of you navigate that together. I still would struggle today with everything I know and understand. I would struggle talking intimately to my partner about like sexual desires or sexual positions or what I would like sexually or I would still find that because of my training and whatever I tell myself, whatever belief system I have on my now, I find uh, shame and embarrassment still attached to that level of intimacy. One good way of not allowing your father's memory to ruin the the act, the sexual act itself, you know, is to keep your eyes open while you're kissing him, for example, because then you're aware this is him in front of me because you close your eyes and you go off and it brings up a memory and you're immediately turned off and your husband hasn't a clue what he's done or what's happened. And that's only one small example of what you need to be thinking and working on in, in an intimate relationship. There's absolutely no way you're not going to have issues with intimacy once you've been sexually abused as a yeah, child. Yeah, and I think it'd be great you now to be able to just say, sorry, that actually reminds me of this. When we started, it was like, um, we used to have a great laugh Because he'd say to me, like, if I'm doing anything, if I'm saying anything, if I'm moving a particular way, just let me know. This is with your current partner. Yeah. yeah, but look how well down the road you are when you met him. Initially, when we were starting now we hadn't a clue. Yeah. And, and so I everything was, triggered. Yeah. We were basket cases. And it was just for anybody to be in partnership with any one of us it must have been yeah. an absolute nightmare. I mean, what they had to try and figure out, I don't know how. Was, no. Even when I got to a level of awareness, I could say, well, that's because that's what my father used to do. That's all I need to know. I don't need to do the ins and outs of it. That's the trigger. That's why. As a result of my abuse, I feel that I have certain areas... I just, I won't go or can't go. I'm not sure which or both. Well, I think it's won't. Well, it's a won't that has me convinced that I can't. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, we can do anything. We choose. It's not really that important anymore and it's not affecting us that much, so we won't. But I suppose, I mean, what do you say to people about triggers? Because, you know, we've said it already. Initially, if you're not aware of them, they can be subtle doesn't have to be somebody walking in and smacking you or smelling like him or looking like him or anything like that. It can be the simplest, subtlest gesture, movement, expression, bringing you to a place where you learn by identifying the triggers, naming them, acknowledge them, and then work with them and truly acknowledging the things that trigger you. And sometimes the triggers are so subtle, you have to actually stop in your tracks and say, why now am I upset when I look at nothing has happened in the last hour? I haven't spoken to anyone, I haven't seen anyone. Why do I feel like this? And like, that can happen when you're just simply out on a night out or even sitting in good company yeah. having a conversation and you go home and you're going, something wasn't yeah. right there. Like, you, you, know? you nearly feel like you're yeah. doing something wrong. You just feel it like we had a great time. I didn't notice anything happened, but something was wrong. And you have to sit down and tear that apart. And sometimes you can't find it. Yeah. You just know it. You feel it in your body that something was said that didn't sit right with you. Forever what judgment you're after placing on it. If you acknowledge that you actually feel there's something wrong. Even if you don't find the reason why you feel like that. But acknowledging that, you're not owning it. You're not saying I feel like this because I'm a bad person or I've done something wrong. It's You have to understand that something happened there you didn't catch. But maybe next time around you will. 
But I mean, it could even be something that you've done, yeah. or, you know, that you're not happy with. And the judgment you've placed on it has prevented you access to it. Yeah. Because you won't admit even to yourself yeah. that you've done or said something that you don't like. So you go into denial, you have compartmentalised, you've placed that somewhere and you're going, that didn't happen. And I'm confused. Yeah. And you see, I think again, in order to understand triggers, how you get triggered, why you get triggered, and what the, res- the emotional or physical or mental response is, you have to understand your abuse. The key to anything is the ability to communicate. You can only communicate with somebody when you understand what you're communicating. Even knowing that you don't store a whole memory in one spot, it's all over the place. So you can trigger part of that memory and not be able to understand what part you've triggered or why you triggered it. With everything to do with child abuse and trauma, you have to understand all of the impacts. It really is important that you take the time to look at your behaviour and your attitude and that you have somebody safe in your life. And they lose their power the more you love yourself as well. The more you're told, you know, it wasn't your fault. You did nothing wrong. If this happens, it's not your fault. The important thing to remember about triggers is the more you understand how your abuse affected you mentally, physically and emotionally, you get stronger. And the stronger you get, the less triggers there are. And the ones you're left with no longer have the power they once had because you can develop strategies to manage them. Thank you for listening. Hopefully some of the information we've shared will resonate with you and bring you to a place where you can have compassion for yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you respond to the abuse, it was normal. We're hopeful and optimistic that those in a position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits from your healing. You've been listening to the Kavna Sisters podcast. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email the Kavna Sisters at gmail.com. We'd like to leave you with a thought for the day. Self-love can be difficult for victims of child sexual abuse. This little exercise might be of some help. Imagine you're your own child. How proud do you feel that she has survived the abuse and all its impacts when you are convinced it would destroy her? Her self-hatred makes you so unhappy, you decide to make it your life mission to help her see what you see. She is so strong. She's courageous, she's inspirational, she's kind, loving and giving and this world is a better place with her in it.
This is not an exercise. This is the truth. <laughs>